So our series we're in right now is called The Step of Yes, and we're looking at people in the Old Testament that God kind of, in his own way, tapped on their shoulder and said, hey, I need you for something. And, and then we're looking at their response. But first and foremost, just as a reminder, God is the one that's doing the initiating. God is the one that's doing the moving. And it's up to us to respond. It was up to each of these people to respond to God's call on their life. So let's never forget that God is the one that gets the credit, that there is one hero of the Bible. And as we go and talk about these people that a lot of people would call heroes of the Old Testament, well, look, they're just people like you and like me that God used in extraordinary ways. And he is the one that gets the credit. He is the one that gets the glory. So I wanted to make that nice and clear right from the get-go. We're looking at the responses from these different Old Testament characters. And we've already done two, and uh, we're diving into our third, and I think it's just fitting how these first three weeks are coming together. Many of you recognize this. Many of you see it. Hopefully you don't ignore it too often. Our first week, we talked about Enoch. Uh, Enoch responding to God's call. And God's call to Enoch was just to walk with him. And Enoch, if, if you think about it in the sense of a traffic light, Enoch is like a green light. He did a great job. He walked with God. And that's pretty much all that we know about Enoch. But what a great way to be known is that Enoch walked with God. He did a great job. And then last week, our second week, we looked at Jonah. And Jonah would be our red light. And he just, he, he didn't do so hot. God called and said, okay, I want you to go over here. And Jonah said, okay, where's the farthest I can get from that spot? And he went in exactly the opposite direction. And God said, okay, Jonah, we're going to try this again, okay? You're going to spend some time in the stomach of a fish, and uh, then maybe you'll have enough time to think about it then. We'll try it one more time. And uh, so Jonah's I imagine, begrudgingly goes and obeys, and then afterwards gripes again to the Lord. He, he just didn't get it. And so this week, yes, we do have a yellow light. Well, we're going to be looking at Solomon this morning. And uh, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more as to why I've, I've classified him in the yellow light uh, category. But uh, he, he started out so well. Um, so, so, so what we'll do this morning is uh, we'll start out by just getting a little bit of history about Solomon. Then we'll look at his good start. He, he started out well. And then we'll talk about what went wrong. And then we'll take a look at a couple of lessons from Solomon. But as we dive in, let me, let me just pray for our time. God, I'm just <sighs> thankful that it's all about you and it's all in your hands. And so, God, as we dive into uh, your word this morning, God, let us not forget that. Let us remember that it's all about you, and and let us keep looking for and seeking after you, and not putting these people up high on any sort of pedestal or um, anything along those lines, but, God, giving you all the credit, giving you all the glory. Be with us this morning as we dive into your word. Amen. All right. So, first of all, a little history lesson about our buddy Solomon. Who is Solomon's dad? David, right. Everybody knows that. Um, in fact, uh, 
Solomon was the third king of Israel. And uh, let's go back and, and, and give Solomon another yellow light. Um, because a lot of people say that Solomon had half a heart for God. Uh, he, he did all right sometimes. And then he blew it sometimes. Um, and so he's kind of our yellow light. And his dad, David, before him, uh, people would give him a green light. They say that David had a whole heart for God and was passionate after the Lord. Sure, he made mistakes, but uh, uh, when he made those mistakes and those mistakes were brought to him, he confessed. We've got psalm after psalm of David's confession, um, of David's sorrow. And uh, the king right before him was Saul. No, it wasn't Solomon's grandfather. No, it wasn't David's dad. Um, But Saul, many people would say, had no heart for God. And, and so we've got here in our first three kings of Israel just kind of spreading uh, the spectrum here. Uh, but uh, just a little bit of background uh, regarding Solomon's dad and just kind of where the kingdom is at. So Saul started out, Israel said, we want a king. Saul just missed it. And then we brought in David, and here David is this great king um, and follows after the Lord. And then uh, after that, we get... Solomon. Now, who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Now, some of you know that. Um, some of you don't. Um, and I think this is so cool that Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. Many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba, uh, one of David's definitely darkest hours. Uh, there's adultery, there's murder, there's um, all sorts of just horrible stuff happening. And I think it's so neat, in a sense, that, that Solomon, the next to be king, is the son of Bathsheba. Because here we get to see God's redemption at work, right? He can take the darkest recesses of our heart and bring him glory. I mean, can you imagine the people reading this? You know, they're looking at this and going, whoa, Solomon was Bathsheba's son. And, you know, here they're waiting for the Messiah. The people that are reading this, that, that uh, First Kings, which we're going to get into in a minute, First Kings, which was written, they're reading this and looking, at waiting for the Messiah, reading about Solomon, possibly headed into exile. And they look at this and go, this is where Solomon came from. From this horrible, horrible experience. See, what I think it does is it turns the focus away from a messy situation to a gracious and forgiving God. And in and of itself, just just Solomon coming from that is just amazing. Now, how many of you know the names of any of Solomon's brothers? Any of Solomon's brothers' names? Absalom, yep. (laughs) He's got a good story. Uh, (laughs) Um... Yeah, there's, there's all, sorts, all sorts of funky names. Um, Absalom, Adonijah, uh, Amnon, he, he's got a good story too. Um, but, but I bring these up not to get into them as much, but just to say uh, that Solomon, by genealogy, wasn't supposed to be king. He had a number of older brothers, and uh, though some of them died in various ways, there were still plenty of brothers older than him that should have, by 
genealogy-wise, taken the throne. And in fact, Adonijah tried to, and we see that in, in 1 Kings. Uh, but see, the cool thing is that God steps in and intervenes again. Uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Uh, I'm using the Bible that a lot of you have sitting right in front of you. 1 Chronicles 22 is on page 302. 302. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free to take this home. Uh, this is our gift to you. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And we see God intervening here and stepping in and allowing Solomon to be king. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 6. Then David called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, yes, we get to see uh, at least a little bit of insight into, or a little bit of charge into Solomon building the temple and a little bit of why. Uh, but right there, God says, I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So it's God intervening and saying, this is who's going to be king. Now, if we go back a little bit, we remember that David wasn't supposed to be king either. He wasn't Saul's son. He wasn't a part of the royal line, or however uh, you may think of it. But it was God that stepped in and said, no, David is going to be king over Israel. And then here God again selects and says, Solomon is going to be king over Israel. Now, let me uh, have you flip over. We're done in First Chronicles for, for now. Um, flip over to First Kings. Page 241. Uh, if you're in here. First Kings. And we're going to hang out in First Kings uh, for a bunch today. So you can uh, kind of park in First Kings. See, what, what happens at the beginning of First Kings is Adonijah, who very possibly was supposed to be the king, was very likely the oldest. We don't have for sure a, a good order of all the different sons of, Solomon, or of David, uh, but we think that Adonijah was supposed to be king. Uh, and so he steps in and decides to take the throne. Nathan and Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet uh, and Bathsheba, make David wise to this and say, hey, we know you don't know that this is going on, but Adonijah has tried to take over the throne. And so David says, I've had enough of that, and goes in and, and makes Solomon king. Now, as Kel pointed out, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And uh, especially, like, if you've ever seen a movie... And there's this big wow ending. And then you go back and watch the movie again. Doesn't it, like, make more sense? Now that you know the ending, you're like, oh, that's why that happened. Or, oh, I get that now. You know, and the movie kind of expands and opens up a little bit for you. Now, we know the ending. We know that this is all about Jesus. 
So let me just read you this one tiny little tidbit in 1 Kings 1, verse 38. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehodiah, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon, catch this, ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. See Jesus in there at all? Yeah. Yeah. This was part of them making him king. And here, you know, a couple thousand years later, Jesus does the same thing. So cool. So cool to see Jesus in there. Well, we had a little bit of history, but I want to get into the meat of the story and talk about Solomon and what goes on here. So Solomon is made king. And then um, in 1 Chronicles uh, 22, the, the passage we were just in, and in 1 Kings 2, we get some words from David uh, to Solomon. So let's read uh, in 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. David starts out by telling him to be strong. Uh, in the passage in First Chronicles, he says the same thing. But I love how thick he lays on the idea of obeying the Lord. It is as thick as thick can be. Over and over again. Keep the charge of the Lord. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes. Keep his commandments. Keep his rules. Keep his testimonies. As it is written, so that you may prosper. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke. If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. David's trying to make it very obvious, very plain to Solomon. Hey, obey the Lord. You get this? Obey the Lord. Solomon, are you paying attention to me? I'm going to say it again. Obey the Lord. Pay attention, Solomon. Now, what I think is cool, if you read down a little bit, David's given him uh, some advice about specific people and what to do with them. Uh, but twice in there, he points out that Solomon is wise. Now, what we're talking about this morning is we're getting into Solomon asking God for wisdom. But that hasn't happened yet. And yet here in chapter 2, he's already being called wise. In the passage in 1 Chronicles, it says, May the Lord grant you discretion and understanding when he gives you charge over Israel. You may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. So again, saying, pay attention, listen, obey, but may the Lord give you direction. May the Lord give you understanding. Solomon, seek wisdom, but also David's reaffirming him and saying, hey, you're wise. 
You are wise. You have wisdom. So it's neat how Solomon responds to that. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Oh, Solomon. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. See, here uh, the people of Israel were grabbing on to traditions and customs that were done by surrounding uh, people groups. They went and found the highest place that they could because they believed that, man, if we worship God or we sacrifice to God as, as high as we can, we, we want to get as close to, to our God as we can and, and sacrifice. Then he'll you know, really be able to hear us. Um, and, and for some reason, Israel decided to grab onto some of those same practices, do that same thing, and, uh, and climb up. Now, where should they have been sacrificing? In the tabernacle. But they weren't. They're being disobedient. In fact, uh, we, we have another issue with, with sacrificing, uh, with Saul. Uh, in 1 Samuel, uh, Saul is told, go out, kill these people, wipe them out, wipe out all their livestock, kill everything. And Saul, in all his foolish wisdom, uh, decides to hang on to some animals. He goes, I'm going to hang on to these and, and sacrifice them. He also doesn't kill the king. Uh, another mistake. But uh, So he's hanging on to all these animals, and he goes and sacrifices him. And Samuel shows up and reams him out. And says, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obey the commands of the Lord. And see, Solomon knew about this. Solomon knew what happened. And yet here he's, he's blowing it as well. Oh, yeah, I've got to go and sacrifice as high as I can. No. Obey. You're supposed to sacrifice at the tabernacle. You're supposed to sacrifice in the way that you were told. Let's keep reading. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Okay. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So there he's blowing it. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. That's pretty cool. And Solomon said, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go, in, go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked 
for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, are we catching this? Obey Solomon. As your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now catch this. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings to make a feast for all his servants. That's where you're supposed to offer Solomon. Good work. All right. We're getting back on the right track, at least a little bit. Now, first, uh, I wanted to point out just a couple things that we see in Solomon asking, because he did get a good start. In, in Solomon asking, first of all, we, we, his request shows humility. Solomon could have been very proud and very arrogant. Uh, in fact, his dad was the king and called him wise. And, you know, Solomon could have very much been like, I've watched my dad do this for years and years and years. I got this whole king thing. I can take care of this. But yet he was humble. He had a right view of the situation, looking out and just seeing, like, there are so many people. And was just terrified. God, I can't do this. I can't lead them. I need wisdom. I need discernment. Laura and I are, are going through this show called uh, 24, um, where there's all sorts of terrorist plots and uh, different things happening, and, and one president comes and another president comes. And, and it's interesting just to watch and, and see all these people around the president and say, man, the president needs to be doing this and the president needs to be doing that. And this one guy is very arrogant. He, he's the vice president. And he's very arrogant and saying, like, the president, he should be doing this and that and this and that. And then uh, the president dies, and the vice president has to step in and take over. And he goes, wow, I didn't get this. Like, until I sat in this chair, I didn't realize the weight of where I was at. And the, the, the challenge it is to be in this position and, and to rule in this way. And it freaked him out. But see, I think that that Solomon here, as he's asking, has a wise view of the situation. He didn't enter in with arrogance thinking, yeah, I watched my dad do this. I can be king. But rather entered with a right view of the situation, a very humble view, going, I need help. I really need help. In fact, uh, you see in here, three times he uses the phrase, your servant. That's how he addresses himself to God. Very humble. I love that. Also, Solomon's request shows selflessness. His focus is on others and wanting to help them and looking out and taking care of them. There's a long list of things he could have asked for. When God says in verse 5, ask what I shall give you, doesn't God have the ability to give him anything? Anything he could have asked for. And his first thought is others. I want to govern them wisely. I want to take care of them. And it's neat that, that God noticed that and still took care of him. 
as well and said, hey, since you didn't ask for those things, I'm going to give you those things too. Now, it doesn't work anymore, okay? Because we already know the end of the story. I've tried it before. God, can I um, have this for other people? Because then you'll give me all this stuff too, right? Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. The first time I read this, I was like, oh, sweet, I got it in. All right, God, give me wisdom. Where's that new bike? Come on. God, give me wisdom. Come on. Anything, God? No, nothing. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Because God knows our heart. He knows what we're really asking for. I think that's so cool. And so here, God sees Solomon's heart and knows that it's a selfless heart. But again, in verse 14, And if you will walk in my ways, Solomon, keeping my statutes, Solomon, and my commandments, Solomon, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Solomon, obey me, obey me, obey me. And so here, again, Solomon's just being beat over the head. Obey me. You get this, Solomon? Pay attention. Obey me. Hey, this is God showing up, talking to you. You better listen. Obey me. So then as we go through uh, 1 Kings and we continue to read, uh, we see Solomon's wisdom in action. Right after that passage, there's a, a very famous story of two women coming and and they both had a baby, and, and one of them died during the night, and now they're both claiming that the live one is theirs. And Solomon, in, in his wisdom, says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut it in half, and each of you gets half the baby. And the real mother says, no, 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 okay, okay. Let the baby live, let her have it. And the other one was like, yeah, chop it up. And uh, Solomon goes, okay, the woman that was wanting to let the baby live, that's the real mother. And so here we get to see his wisdom. And it says in verse 28, all of Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king. Catch this. Because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So they're seeing, okay, this is supernatural wisdom. This is godly wisdom. So credit is going in the right place. First Kings 4, we see that Solomon's wisdom is widely known. 1 Kings chapters 5 through 8, we see Solomon building the temple. 1 Kings 10, uh, the queen of Sheba shows up, visits Solomon uh, to see and test his wisdom. Now in 1 Kings 9, God shows up again. So let's flip over and take a look at 1 Kings 9. Solomon asked, Solomon got his wisdom, and God shows up again. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And remember, as the people are reading this, this is a reminder. Hey, you guys remember just a, a few pages before when Solomon was up at Gibeon and, and uh, God said, hey, ask for anything and Solomon asked for wisdom and, and how God appeared to him like that? It, it's happening again. Okay, God's showing up again. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all of time. Solomon, thanks for building the temple. Thanks for uh, wanting me to be a part of it. Inviting me in. 
Yes, I will be there. And if Solomon didn't get it enough. And as for you, if you will walk before me, as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Obey me, Solomon. Obey me. But if you turn aside from me, you or your children, and do not meet, keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Let me pause there. Now, there's ten commandments, and, and then a whole bunch more. But there's ten big ones, and God tosses out one. He doesn't talk about, now, Solomon, don't go out and murder people. Uh, Solomon, don't commit adultery, which probably could have tossed in there, too. That would have been good. Um, Solomon, uh, you know, don't steal. He just says, if you go and serve other gods and worship them, he's drawing out one specific thing. He's making it very obvious. See, what God's doing is he's pointing out Solomon's impending downfall. He's getting specific with Solomon. And I think when when God gets specific, you should probably pay attention. Solomon, here's the one that's going to mess you up. Don't turn aside. Don't serve other gods. Don't worship them. If you do, verse 7, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name and I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done this thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. That's very specific. It says, Solomon, don't go and serve other gods. Don't go and worship them. Are you getting this, Solomon? Are you paying attention, Solomon? Get this. This is going to be your downfall. See, Solomon was given wisdom. He had a good start. But then he blows it. Let's talk about what went wrong in 1 Kings chapter 11. Man, as I've I've read this, I just shake my head every time. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Oh, Solomon. There's his kryptonite. Okay? That's it. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian, and the Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Maybe you should have paid attention to that, Solomon. Oh, I wish. In fact, let me read for you out of Deuteronomy chapter 7, where this comes from. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering and taking to take possession of it, 
and clears away the many nations before you, Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, uh, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, dash into pieces their pillars, chop down their ashram, and burn their carved images with fire. Solomon had good and ample warning. Solomon, don't. Don't intermarry. Don't mess up. But Solomon loved many foreign women. So let's keep reading in in chapter 11. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Numbers are boggling. Um, And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place uh, for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives, who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Now, catch this in verses 9 and 10. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, but rightly so, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Wasn't that enough, Solomon? And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. Solomon, you got it nice and crystal clear, and you missed it. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Now, if you get that much heads up, that much warning, that much commandment, that much attention, what what kind of words would you call someone that, that doesn't heed those? Maybe a moron? Maybe stupid? Maybe an idiot? Probably not wise. He blows it. Sure, yes, he had a good start, but he just blows it. He totally messes up. But do we give him a bad rap? Well, (laughs) let's take a look at our history here, right? David, at least twice, crystal clear, Solomon, obey the Lord, obey the Lord, obey the Lord. God shows up twice, obey me, obey me, obey me. Don't follow other gods. Solomon, don't follow other gods. Obey me, obey me. And in Scripture, twice, I just read from you from Deuteronomy 7. Keep your finger in 1 Kings and flip over to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, page 138, if you're in this Bible. We've got some laws 
concerning Israel's kings. Now, we don't even have a king of Israel yet in the book of Deuteronomy. And God gives some rules concerning Israel's kings. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, which Israel did, uh, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, which God did. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Did all right with that. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself. Uh, Solomon had thousands of horses. Watch this. Um, Or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. You know where Solomon got them from? Egypt. Come on, Solomon. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Solomon. Come on, man. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now, sure, Solomon didn't obey. Solomon didn't use the gift that he asked of the Lord. But check out these next verses in Deuteronomy. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up against his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. What was Solomon's biggest problem? He didn't spend time in the He didn't spend time with God. He was commanded to have it right next to you, Solomon. Dive into this. Know the law. Know what I have asked you to do. And he didn't. That was his biggest problem. Now let me just give you a couple lessons from him. A couple lessons from Solomon. Read me, right? A couple lessons from Solomon. First of all, we see Solomon ask for wisdom. Ask boldly for wisdom. James chapter 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, and he will give generously to him without finding fault, and it will be given. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable, in all he does. Maybe Solomon had some doubts. But we're told, hey, you want wisdom? Ask for it. God will give it. So that's one lesson I see from Solomon. Ask boldly for wisdom. But second of all, where Solomon faltered is use it. In James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. You got wisdom, great. Put it to work. 
use it. But ultimately, I think the biggest lesson that we need to learn from Solomon is to spend time with Jesus. Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 6, So don't worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Solomon's good start wasn't so much a pursuit of wisdom as it was a pursuit of God. Likewise, his downfall wasn't so much a failure to be wise as it was a failure to pursue God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Solomon missed it. Don't you miss it. Don't I miss it either. Lord, thank you for the example of Solomon. And just seeing a man that started out well, but blew it. God, please allow us to learn from his mistakes and to pursue you, to run after you. God, please grant us wisdom, but please also, God, let us use it and not squander it. Thank you so much for loving us, for being with us. God, let us run wholeheartedly after you, not looking to the right or to the left, but God, fixing our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.